So I was doing this presentation for Party Foul at One Million Cups a few weeks ago, and I was trying to find images of the game up on Board Game Geek. So I went to their website, and lo and behold, the website is down because they're making updates. And I've never been more excited and more paralyzed by fear at the same time. So we're going <laughs> to cheers today to the hypothetical next version of the Board Game Geek website that might actually work on the internet. So, <laughs> cheers, future board game geek, hypothetically. Hey everybody, I'm Caleb. I'm Spencer. And this is the Mix 6 where we have six beers, six conversations, and we rate them on a 5-point scale. That is often when it comes from Spencer ill-advised. So before we get to the five-point scale that I hope we improvise, let me try and talk you down from doing another food rating system. I don't remember the last time this went well. Which is except... Because it hasn't. Right. It's never gone well. I know, I know. I have to... I have evolved on the issue. Let's go back to dogs you don't know the name of in your neighborhood. No, no. It's the only way to save the podcast. Uh Uh-huh. Your opinions about food so enrage the the populace that uh, I'm not sure we can survive another one. I have a thing where I want ever well, two things. I guess I have two things where one, I'm not convinced that the next evolution of this podcast isn't just us tasting food and reviewing it live. That sounds like my nightmare. Right. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Yep. Like, oh, today we have these potato chips. How would you rate them? Poorly. Yeah, uh, I mean, we're in the Midwest. We're the market test market for all the right. major companies. That's so. exactly right. People could send we us get food. Gravy. We get gravy uh, potato chips, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. See, Caleb, I think you're wrong here. <laughs> Two, and at this point, I, where does this optimism derive from? <laughs> I don't know. It's deep From whence does this bright glimmer of hope Faith. come in the abyss of your Faith in the human comments. spirit, That's Caleb. exactly right. Here's my second bit, is that... Um, Every time people yell at me about my food opinions, I I hope they understand it has the opposite effect of where they think this is going. I don't want to eat more sauerkraut now that you've yelled at me about how wrong I am about sauerkraut. I'm happier that I've never gotten into sauerkraut because sauerkraut people are mean. <laughs> So I feel pretty good about where we are. All right. So I'm going to give it another shot. So if you keep yelling you, your opinions will only get worse. Yes, that's right. That's exactly right. (laughs) If you don't think I can dig my heels in Is this how we become Fox News? That's right. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. (laughs) right. You watch me. All right. This foxhole goes way down, motherfuckers. You will walk backwards into hell. I will. I really will. I really will. (laughs) Just eating ketchup covered hot dogs. Okay. So we're going to try something new. In that I'm going to use fruit, which is maybe something people aren't as aggressive about. Yeah, you say that. And so today we'll be basing our rating system of beers on apples. So if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you know that we rate beers on a five-point scale. A one is the worst beer you've ever had, or in this case, an apple you would prefer not to eat. A five, on the other hand, is a beer which has changed the game for you in meaningful ways and has redefined your category of beer or apple. So we're starting with a one. Terrible apples. Gala. I do not like gala apples. Two reasons. One, they look like they're going to be kind of sweet, kind of tart. Really, they just taste like crunchy water. I've never had a gala apple where I was like, oh, that was delicious. Every time I'm like, oh, man, somebody spilled water on this styrofoam. Gross. So gala apples ruin apples. This would be a bad beer would be a gala apple. Okay, a two. 
And this one's because it fucking lied to me. A honey crisp. I thought, oh, honey. Probably sweet, probably crispy. Neither. Neither. Honestly, every honey crisp I've ever had, there's no snap to it. It's kind of bendy, and then it's like um, mealy almost. Like, it's gritty. And I don't want gritty anything. Oh, God, the comments just populating in my mind. It's gritty. Also, honey crisp, my ass. You know what it is? It's like, oh, 10 years ago, this was a kind of sweet apple. And now it's just disgusting. So and here's the angry tirade about fruit vending in Missouri. It's, fruit. it's just apples. Right, like, just apples. It's just apples. Right, and so far, honestly... There is someone on the internet right now in the future say, if you ever got a good honey crisp in your shitty state... And it's just... <laughs> it's, exactly it's, like right. you've, it's like you've never done this before, producer Ross. I'm just... Yeah, it's not you. Well, you said fruit. It's just it's just apples. But that's exactly right. And frankly, right now, like I don't feel like I've said anything too controversial. You have okay, like one thousand percent. So a three. This is like it's expected. This is the beer that you go back to. Nothing else on tap. This is the well has run dry. What what tasty morsel remains on the tap line? It's a Fuji apple. Um, here's the thing about Fujis, uh, like. Enough sweetness, but getting into some tartness, and I really like a tart apple. That, for me, is the thing which sets an apple apart from many other fruits. It's the tartness. So, Fuji's a three. Four, now we're really leaning into tart, pink ladies. My God, can I eat a pink lady apple. Lucky's Market. Don't make it that sexual. <laughs> over <laughs> on too late. Where's the abort way button? Way too late. Uh, <laughs> Bashing too it late. right now. Over on Glenstone, they occasionally have organic pink lady apples. Don't, oh, uh, God. My don't organic. God. It is, it, honestly. Orgasmic? <laughs> but for the, the five on my rating scale, the pink lady is, that that's premier apple. And then a five. This is this is what apples were supposed to do. It took them a long time. I don't understand or know the evolutionary chart of apples, but I assume you're about to. That oh, you're God. I have Facebook's no about to. I have no doubt. The Russians are about to know. We're about to learn that ten of our there's going to be a apologists. Yeah, there's going to be a working group in the FSB right. examining Facebook, wondering why why are Americans talking about apples so much? Yeah, <laughs> is outlier for an algorithm. Watch out, Zuckerberg. <laughs> um, a five. It's a Granny Smith and or a green apple. They're perfect. This is what apples were always meant to do. There's some sweetness. They snap well. They've got a good amount of crunch to them. And they're tart. And sometimes excessively tart. I'll admit that a Granny Smith can go a little too far in the other direction. But by and large, a Granny Smith, especially if you've got a little peanut butter up in that bitch, just a little peanut butter on that Granny Smith apple, that is peak appling right there. And in this instance, it'd be peak beer. Okay. Um, well... <laughs> I'm just going to get it out of the way. Yeah. Um, how do you like them apples? They, uh, they don't like them. Mm-mm. In fact, they are quite angry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Oh, big shout out to Faye for her recent <clears throat> tweet about apples. Oh, like, she she yeah. she crushed that apple. Yeah, she did. That was quite, incredible. Quite literally. Yeah, yes. yeah. She ripped it in half. Um, tweet. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Faye had a good tweet. That's the best thing to take from this. <laughs> Who am I kidding? You've turned off the podcast already and are angrily sprinting towards the keyboard. So let's just continue talking to the void, and I'm going to need a beer for that. Let's go. Hey, Spencer.
Spencer, what are you drinking? Well, it's only fair that I am the first to use our latest and greatest rating system, and I'll be reviewing Log... I really wish you could be the only one to use it. Oh, <laughs> That's hurtful. Um, I'll be reviewing Logboat Brewing Company out of Columbia, Missouri. I'll be re- reviewing the Flyby Farmhouse Ale, and I'm excited because... I think we've both noticed lately farmhouses have been kind of more up my alley. Like mm-hmm. I'm still not crazy about them, but yeah. I actually sought a few out at recent uh, beer purchasing events. So here's to hoping this one's good. I think you'd be insufferable if you described yourself as a farmhouse guy. Mm. Yeah, it's, almost insufferable as an IPA. It's everyone's guy. second choice, but that best. would be like, like it's nobody's first. That would choice. be the most hipster thing I could imagine. Like that'd no. be that'd be a Portlandia sketch and in, in the making. If like. <laughs> You got any farmhouses? What's the best farmhouse? Uh, yeah, like I'm a farmhouse. I feel guy. like there's more, but I can't think of one that's <laughs> more Portlandian. I, I guess, but yeah. yeah. I mean, you're I, it, out of a better name. I can't think of one. This is a delicious farmhouse. Mm. It's, a, it's a four. Ooh, this is a, this is a pink lady farmhouse, mm-hmm. which is, as a phrase is very different than describing a beer. Uh, but that's exactly... Yeah, they have one outside of Las Vegas. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, this is we quite have good. to stop sexualizing the pink ladies. I'm and not. I am just calling it right now. I am not doing that. Uh, hey, we're into dissecting our fun, which, as you know, if you've listened before, is our segment about board games. We talk about games we like, mechanics we like, things that are weird to us, and occasionally make a recommendation. And today, pretty hard sell on a game, and that's Concordia. Mm-hmm. And we are we are we are late to the party on this game. Yes, I yeah. mean, um, unapologetically, I guess, right? Because we are where we are. Well, we're we're evolving as board gamers, meaning that we're right. at the phase in our board game love where we play the most boringly themed thing we can find. Right, and it's up there. I was going to say, <laughs> but that doesn't make it bad. That's exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, right? It's a fantastic game. Yeah, transcendence in board game is actually like away from entertainment towards tight mechanic and boredom. Yeah, and in yeah. that way, Concordia is uh, is a breadwinner. Uh, so, quick shout out to uh, Rick from the Bananana Podcast. If you aren't already listening to them, you should definitely check them out. It's a Batman review podcast. They did uh, the first season of the Adam West Batman stuff in season one. And in season two, they're doing the first season of Batman, the animated series. I was on an episode a couple weeks ago. Those guys are great. Um, Rick has told me repeatedly for the last year or so that Concordia is his favorite game that I should try it whenever I could offered to teach it. And I wasn't available. And when we were sitting at Taj Mahal, no, at uh, India Garden. Yeah, yeah. In drinking Taj Mahal. Drinking Taj Mahal. <laughs> you can see how I got confused yeah. because I was drunk. Uh, at Gen Con, you and I talk, started talking about the need for just a boring, like like straight up the middle, perfect uh, mechanic game. And Concordia came up, and you mentioned to me that a lot of people, you know, like respectable reviewers, continue to talk about Concordia as one of the five or ten best games in the world. Mm-hmm. And it got me thinking, oh shit, that's right. Rick keeps telling me to play it. We looked for it at the Rio Grande booth. It wasn't there. Sold out. Sold out. Which they made had me think salsa. That was it. Right. Yeah. Which is an expansion I've not yet touched. Mm-hmm. We got home. You found it at Metagames. Mm-hmm. Bought it for Brandy as a birthday gift. And Brandy and I cracked it open one night. I instantly fell in love with this game. And there are not a lot of games, especially games of such weight, that I have played that were so thinky, and I've immediately wanted to play a second time, like just right then and there. Yeah, it's a worker placement game. Yep. You are traveling around the is it Holy Roman or just Roman? Just Roman. Uh, it is the one side of the board is the Roman Empire. Yes, yeah, so the Roman Empire, and you are just moving around, building trade depots, uh, collecting various resources that you didn't spend. Um, the thing I like best about Concordia is that 
it's not quite a deck builder because you're not really affecting probabilities. But every time you are taking a new card, you get that action for your turn. And one of your turn actions is to pick up all your cards. Right. So you are continually trying to build this string of actions that go in this cycle while you're constantly adding actions to that cycle. Um, and I think it's a very interesting and tight mechanic. I like it better than deck building for that. It's, I, I do like having finite actions that you are expending. Yep. And you have to wait to pick them back up if your strategy changes. Yep. Concordia is such a perfect game to to um, introduce into someone's game vocabulary when they're moving beyond um, what I think is probably an intermediate gaming experience. Mm-hmm. So you open the box, you put all the pieces on the board, you see um, some colonists. These are the people that you can move around from city to city to build things. And then you see a bunch of houses like you would in Catan, etc. And typically when you see those things, you think the primary goal here is to build all of the houses or as many houses as possible, have more houses than the other player, and end up with more money. And that's the end of the game. Yeah. What's interesting about Concordia um, is its worker placement mechanic, its hand mechanic, which you've already identified because you are building a hand mm-hmm. by paying for cards that come up on the board that you can add to your hand, which give you additional actions throughout the course of the game but the most interesting aspect of concordia happens at the end of the game and it's the scoring mechanic and yeah because those cards you've been picking up are sort of sponsored by various (sighs) gods that's right uh from the roman pantheon and all of those gods have different multipliers that they're affecting to different aspects of the game. Could be worker and trading depot placement. It could be variety of resources. It could be variety location. of provinces and location. Um, but each god has a sort of different aspect that they buff on your score. Yes. Um, and so I have not played Concordia enough to get a sense of defense. Like, I do know that it's fantastic at giving you a strategy for offense. Like, so you look at those gods and you're like, I'm going to go for this. And you have all of these strategic choices that keep you on track for that. Yeah. I'm sure when you play it long enough, you can sort of see how people are drafting yeah. and sort of keep track as like, well, so-and-so's getting that many cards. I'm not there yet, but I do imagine it's like terraforming Mars if you've played it a bunch of times. And I just use that as a reference because it's what I came to first. Uh, and, and Sarah and I play terraforming Mars like all the time. Um, is that you know what the – eventually, if you know the game well enough, you know what the other team's going for and you know what you're going for. But it's still hard to play a lot of defense. It's hard to get a lot of interaction with that. Yep. And it's just a race. So it just raises tension. You can't really you can't really foil someone nope. in their strategy. You can kind of see what they're going for and maybe adjust accordingly. But um yeah, it's really a race to the top and you do not know who has got one that that game will have like Oh, they're down 40 points, and then you score another god, and like, oh, they're ahead 30. Like, it is wild. Massive the swings. swings in the back end of that Massive game. swings. Um, I've seen I've seen leaderboards change so rapidly in the course of a couple of Concordia games. Caleb is absolutely right. Here's what happens as as you're watching people buy cards on the board, and those cards are associated with different gods that you're gonna score at the end of the game. You can start to see. So, like Brandy has the strategy where she's buying as many Mercurius cards as possible. And in in two or three games, you can see her doing this. And so then you have to make a calculated decision. At the end of the game, when we score four more curious, Brandy is going to beat you. So when more more curious cards come up, 
do you bite them to thwart her strategy? Draft. Right. Yeah. Or do you say, okay, I'm not going to win that scoring category. So what's a category? Go hard into Saturnus right. or something. Yeah. What's like a that? scoring category I can win? Saturnus, right? Yeah. Or or Vespa. Nobody wants to win Vespa. Um, what's a scoring category I can win to offset her advantage there and try to create a reasonably equitable swing in my direction when we score the god that I'm aiming for? So, like for example. I I have found a strategy that works really well for me. Um, the Mars god bonuses the number of colonists you have on the board, workers that you have on the board. So mm-hmm. my goal has been to buy all of the Mars cards that come up and then get all of my workers on the board. So at the end of the game, I'm maximizing both the number of workers I have and the number of times I get to count them for scoring. Uh, and that has been a really good swing for me. But in game two or game three, Brandy saw me doing this heads me off at the pass and starts moving me towards a different scoring strategy by taking some of the Mars cards off the board. Mm -hmm. So if you're paying attention, there's a lot of offensive opportunity. There's a lot of defensive opportunity. um, And you still don't know how things are going to net out because the game gets so big. Um, You know, mid game, you're making real decisions around, do I want to continue to expand into new provinces? Do I want to um, emphasize one particular resource type because of its value as compared to other resource types? Do I just want to get a bunch of people on the fucking board? It has such an interesting mid game for me. And I think that's where a lot of the like thinkier, weightier games fall apart. So I love Scythe. I've talked ad nauseum about how it's my favorite game of all time. Um, I still having played a bunch of Scythe at this point, I still have a lot of problem in the mid game of Scythe. Like I can start well. I know what my first five to 10 turns are going to look like. I know what my last five turns are going to look like when we're really getting down to four Mm -hmm. or five stars Mm -hmm. on the board. It's what happens in the middle where I get like a little stuck on stuff. Terraforming Mars, same problem. We've played like three or four times now. Early, I go, okay, this is the engine I have because of the corporation I'm using. And late, once everybody's kind of maximized some stuff, I can go, okay, here's a gap that I can fill. But middle of the game, I'm like, "Eh, I don't really know what to do here. Concordia, though, the nature of the game is such that I always feel that I have a really, really strong mid-game, mid-in-game, much more than an early game, because you can start to pay attention to what other people are doing, Mm -hmm. and it creates some clarity for you. And so um, we won't get too deep into the weeds on how to play the game. If if you're not a deep gamer yet, or you haven't encountered Concordia, it really is probably more than an intermediate play to transition out of an intermediate play. There's some depth to it. That being said, I would not want to scare you away from it. If you want to give it a shot, there are a number of great videos about yeah, how to hard, play If Concordia. you're listening to this, it's a hard recommend. Oh, yeah. hard recommend. If, it, you probably have played it already, and you're like, what are they talking about? Right. This game's old as hell. But yeah. if you haven't, um, you definitely should. You know, In upcoming episodes, we'll talk about some like variations on a theme. Viticulture, for example, which is like a much more bur- boring version of Concordia to me. And I won't hard recommend that as much as I will hard recommend this. Mm-hmm. Um I still love viticulture, by the way. I'm going to recommend it pretty hard. (laughs) Um, Go buy Concordia. Play Concordia. Let us know how much you love Concordia. And tag uh, Rick from the Bananana podcast, because this is really all his fault. (laughs) We're going to grab more beer. We'll be right back. Caleb, I don't know if this was clear, but I really love Concordia. And what are you drinking? Um, I don't know how it's related to that, but I'm, I'm going to drink from Logboat Brewing Company, which is another one from Logboat. Yeah. Uh, it but, might be Logboat all the way down. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't checked the six-pack yet. Such is the nature of the beer vault. Someone brought us Logboat Brewing. Thanks so much for that. Yeah, very much. Uh, this is the Dark Matter from Logboat Brewing, so I'm going to give it a shot. It is a wheat porter. Ooh, Ooh. That's an interesting combination of things. Yeah. Uh, porters are... Mm. 
I feel like we've good. been up and down on porters. Lately. Yeah, it depends on the porter. Yeah, I feel like we've yeah. had a couple porters that were pretty good. I think Caleb really liked a porter a few weeks ago. Yeah. I also feel like we had a porter in an episode or two where I thought, oh, that's kind of vomity. That's yeah. serviceable for me. So that's a three, whatever you said that was, because I will not participate in your food. Crush. No, no. None of this works if you turn your back on the rating system. If we do anything granny, here, that right? is a quote Fuji, yeah. end quote. No, Granny Smith is a five, Ross. Oh, I thought a Fuji was a five. No. No. <laughs> God damn it, Ross. Fuji is a three. Um, it's a three. It's very good. Uh, the wheat sort of cuts the thickness of a porter. It's got some smokiness, but again, the wheat sort of contracts it. I think you might like it quite a bit. Well, let's find out. Uh, it might be a bit more than a th- than a, than a three for you because um, it's, it's very light as a porter. Um, yeah, porters tend to be a little too heavy for me. So yeah. I would I would drink more than one of those, which is uh, not often the case for a porter. Um. I like the flavor. I'm with you. It's actually too light for me to be a four. There, mm-hmm. There's not enough porter there. Yeah. It's a little watery. Um, I drink it on tap, though. Totally drink it on like tap. That. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, so it's serviceable. It's a solid three. Also, I just operationally, I think we need to have a quick meeting. All right. So <laughs> if there are two things I know about this podcast, it's that if Ross wants to play Vaporwave, he's going to play Vaporwave. All right. <laughs> we learned that. And, and that regardless of our agreement with categorically true or not categorically true rating system we all rate the beers i read the loyalty using the rating system i read it all right what do you want if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna jump on this anti-sparkle motion bit right i can have a dissenting opinion and still vote at a three I'm sorry. I can't I, do that. I yeah, but I mean, and for the survival of our podcast, as the Mix 6 stock trading room goes into crash, men go flying out of their high-rises and the ticker tape's everywhere because you've done another food-based rating system. I think it's just, frankly, economically responsible to distance myself I think, from what has proven to be... Your- I think Spencer's bringing it up as a contractual obligation. <laughs> I, that's exactly what it is, yeah. that as you, as you participate in the erosion of our moral fiber... <laughs> You're no better than the people yelling at me, Caleb. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't bring them into this. Wow. And in that moment, They're I need literally our fan base. Though. Yeah, well, not my fan base, I don't think. Based <laughs> on some of the comments I've read. Um, hey, we're into We Make a Pair. Uh, and today, I wanted to talk about pairing a beer with a video game. Um, because we've had a lot of conversations about video game lately. Uh, you, of course, are in love with Spider-Man, one of your five favorite games of all time. Because I'm a right-thinking person, yes. That's exactly right. Um, but there are other games that we can agree on, at least that either they exist, Destiny, or that they are fantastic and worthy of praise, the Batman Arkham games. So I thought, how better to pair two things that we absolutely love and love to talk about, beer and video games. Mm-hmm. So we're going to pair a beer with Spider-Man, with Destiny, and the Arkham games. Spider-Man's a bonus pick because I've not played it. So I assume you just drink the mana of the heavens with Spider-Man based on your review. Well, uh, I'll go and go first then yep. uh, with our Spider-Man pick. You're going to drink Firestone's Sticky Monkey because Ooh. what is Spider-Man if not a sticky monkey oh shit a hard five a hard five sticky monkey of the sticky monkeys i've met easily my favorite uh and of the beers called sticky monkey easily my favorite i've drank wait a minute i think i may have overreacted or reacted too early so are you making it a sticky monkey because it's a hard five and the sticky monkey's a hard five or because spider-man sticks to things both it works on both levels shit and he sort of monkey-like swings around the trees of New York. Yes. Yeah. So that's my pick. It works on that, multiple levels, much like Spider-Man the game. Third level. I get Spider-Man all the way down. 
I don't have a pun here, man. Like, I feel like you've really bogarted this whole segment now. Yeah, I'm sorry. We're not coming back from this. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess we can try Destiny, but it's all downhill from here. So, cool. Okay, here's my hot take on Destiny. Um, I get giddy excited. Like, when I sit down to, for example, raid for the first time. Or try a new event, like the Prison of Elders. I know that you hate the raid, and I know that the raid hates you more than that. Mm-hmm. But let's not lie. The first time that you, me, and Jeb sat down to do Prison of Elders, you were there was like some like on the precipice of joy, right? I mean, I mean, football on a Sunday, uh, the the smell of fresh cut grass. There was something preternatural about the excitement in your body at that event, right? <laughs> if you ever write an autobiography, it better be called. <laughs> The precipice of joy. <laughs> just and have album. you looking like <laughs> almost it's happy. your campaign photo, like I'm holding th- a PS4 controller. I'm thinking about being happy with but your like, ship just sort of hovering in the background. Right. It's like a Morrissey cover band name. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So here's the thing. So so benevolently, um, the beginning of a Destiny engagement is for me what might be my new favorite beer, which is Prairie's Blueberry Boyfriend. Which Prairie Artisan Ales did the right thing. They added blueberry to, I think, their Vape Tricks base. And I'm sure Prairie Artisan Ales... We haven't Ales, reviewed it yet, but spoiler alert. It's the hardest of fives. <laughs> we like it a lot. I I haven't had flair in a while because it's not seasonal. I And so I don't want to say I like it more than Prairie Flair, which might be you know one of my two or three favorite beers of all time. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to say I don't. And that's how good I think Blueberry Boyfriend is. Um, what strikes me most about Blueberry Boyfriend is that it got you to think that Vape Tricks wasn't Prairie's best offering, and you couldn't have been harder in the sack for Vape Tricks. Well, it's just Vape Tricks plus Blueberry. Which is incredible. Which is like, yeah, let's blow this one kid in Missouri's mind. Right, like, and, and and they did. Yeah. Um, and I know that Prairie's listening because they were our brewery of the year in 2017, and I'm sure that this is a very a very important moment to them too. Yeah. Um, so here's the thing. Um, when I start a Destiny engagement, I'm very excited. Like, very excited. Giddy with excitement. Uh, I bought Prairie blueberry boyfriend for for an event this last weekend and was giddy to go home and drink it couldn't mm-hmm. wait but then um then destiny happens and two or three or in some cases with the raid seven hours later you're sitting there and you're down on your luck you just need to get through this thing and so suddenly now all of the excitement has worn off and you're into bush light which the is not crash not a bad thing because you're still doing it, right? I mean, I think that's the important thing here. If you weren't going to do it, just switch to like a Miller Light or a Bud Light or a Coors Light. But you're still doing it because you want to for some weird reason, and that's what Bush Light is. Mm-hmm. I, I want to keep drinking even though I shouldn't. I'm going to have another Bush Light. Right. So, so it's, a, it's transitional is what I'm saying. Yeah. What would you pick for Destiny? Uh, so for Destiny, I picked Steel Reserve. You motherfucker. Um, <laughs> because it is, it is nothing if not a Skinner box and... You drink Steel Reserve because you don't care about how it tastes. You just want to get blasted. And you play Destiny for the impressions of a video game. Now, I am also going to have a caveat there. Unless it's doing the raid, in this in this case, I recommend you switch over to Paint Thinner, which is, <clears throat> in its way, intoxicating. Uh, I suggest like a Merrill Williams, but you know if you don't want to break the bank, maybe a Lowe's Paint Thinner. Um, and it'll do to you basically what the raid's doing to you, which is... It's going to kill you slowly and painfully. Uh, and uh, I can't think of a better pairing. Uh, if I was a sommelier yeah, uh-huh. of beers, I would... Uh, or video games. Yeah, or video games. Uh, that that would be my pairing. Yeah. Really working some shit out here, and I'm happy about that. Tell me I'm wrong. Uh, 
Okay, we're moving on to the Batman <laughs> Arkham games. Um, this one was tricky for me because there's a dire desire for me in the Batman Arkham games, A, to stay sober because I really want to enjoy them, and frankly, because they require some thinking here and there. There's some good puzzly moments oh, in the, the Batman. Oh, God. That son of a bitch. Um, but I also want to drink something kind of like on theme, so a little bit darker, a little bit brooding. Um, good but maybe not going to wreck me so I can keep myself going. So when we were in Indianapolis for Gen Con, um, we went over to Centerpoint Brewing of an afternoon, mm-hmm. and they had a, a nitro cold brew porter. That is one of the, probably the sixth best beer I've ever had in my entire life. And here's the real value here. It's a cold brew, so it's infused with coffee. So you have to think, I know this isn't true in any meaningful way, but here we are. It's giving you some caffeine. It's giving you a little bit of jolt because it feels coffee-like. So your body's like, ooh, coffee. But it's also a delicious beer. So the Centerpoint Brewings, can't remember the name of it, Nitro Cold Brew Porter in Indianapolis. Yeah, you're up late if you're Batman. Yeah, that's right. You need some coffee. That's exactly right. To fight criminals. I assume Um, Bruce Wayne just lives on coffee. Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully not cold brew porters, though. Because I don't think you should be Batmaning while drunk. Maybe that's why he needed a tank for the Batmobile. <laughs> it was mostly for his protection. Speaking of, uh, so my first two Arkham game picks is going to be Three Floyd Zombie Dust. Because you want something bitter, like revenge, but also intensely <laughs> also intensely drinkable. So that's drinkable. not going to like athletically slow you down. Not to mention and it's, it's a five. It's quite delicious. Hard five. Yeah. Hard five games. Right. Um, but then when you switch to Arkham Knight, you're going to switch over to Upland Brewing's Champagne Velvet brand beer, which tastes like poison. And you need that crash. You need to go from a five to beneath a one yep. to represent the bat to tank. To the cave. To the bat tank of Arkham Knight. Furthermore, I think of it as the transition from Batman, who Batman really wants to be, and Bruce Wayne. And I imagine that Champagne wow. to Bruce Wayne, as he's pretending to be a playboy when he'd rather be beating up Thugs. peasants to get revenge for his dead parents, tastes a lot like uh, Upland Brewing Champagne Velvet brand beer in that it tastes like slowly dying inside. Um, it's so, the yeah. one thing they got wrong on the Arkham series. Yeah. Like massively wrong. Oh, it, yeah. It's unnecessary and it ruins things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What if we gave him guns? No. Okay. What if we gave him bigger guns? Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Sure. I don't know why I said that, I but do that. yes, yeah. make a whole game out of it. Baffling. Um, hey, that's what you should drink while you play video games. And on that note, we're <laughs> going to grab some Mo beers. Be right back. Hey, Spencer. What are you drinking? So from Grant McCarran, who we haven't heard from in a while. I mean, on Facebook we have, and I think he, uh, he may or... He you're you're d- drinking Grant? Yes. Um, you monster. Well, you know. He's been so good to us. There's a time and place <laughs> for everything. I don't know why I decided to sing that. Um, it's Van Halen. I think of Grant, more, Grant McHaren and I think of Van Halen. Um, anyways, Grant McHaren in professional drinking has asked, Americans have a massive sweet tooth. I'm not, I haven't even talked about what I'm drinking. Like everyone, That's what I tried to bring everyone up. Everyone pump the fucking That's brakes. what I tried to say. Grant, you've ruined the whole segment. God damn it. I'm drinking Crown Valley's Blackberry Cider. <laughs> Hold on. God, give it a little more like... Oh, Jesus, Grant. Well, we're going to get to your question, maybe. I don't know. Spencer's slipped a gear or something. It depends on how... How do you think of Blackberry? Because... That's really good. Yeah. And topical, given the question. Yeah. Um, is, is that why you skipped over the... 
basic format we've had for the show for going a hot on second, for years. For a hot second, I just forgot what we were doing. Here. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, people send, say stuff. Um, <laughs> that's really good. What's the rating? That's probably a five. What? Give me, give me that. That's you rating a five for a cider. I know. It's blackberry though, and I don't think I'm crazy about blackberries. But here we are. It's a really nice cider. That's really good. That's a really good cider, right? Yeah, (laughs) that's super fucking drinkable. That's a really tasty cider. Good on Crown Valley. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, um. Wow. Okay. Um, well, about giving a good rating. So, anyways, that's a Granny Smith um, using our categorically true rating system. So, anyways, we're in professional drinking. I don't know if you heard. Uh, and Grant McCarran submitted a question. Spoiler. Um, Grant asks: Americans have a massive sweet tooth. He said, drinking a blackberry cider, such that even <laughs> your bread tastes like it's sugar frosted. How dare you, sir? How does this impact an American's search for beers? Does it drive towards berry-infused beers or over-the-top tastes? And then he says, e.g., Sierra Nevada's Torpedo, which I is too much IPA for me. That that's the thing, right? Like those Sierra Nevada's Torpedo is when you're like all IPAs are terrible and horrible. That's what I think of. Yeah, and it's not a bad beer. It's just so much IPA. It's undrinkable for me. Yeah. Um, not all IPAs are undrinkable. No, not all IPAs are drinkable. But I mean, most are. We've determined this. But I do think the, the question's interesting because we do have a sweet tooth, and we're very experimental with our beer. And what that means in a lot of instances is that we put these things together. For example, local brewery 4x4, who I think is making some of the most drinkable beer in Springfield right now, mm-hmm. is partnering with Hertz Donuts. And if you're unfamiliar with Hertz oh Donuts, yes. <laughs> they are of the kind of like voodoo donuts, how insane can a donut be kind of donut shop. And they're the doing, answer is very yeah very maple insane. bacon donuts the yeah. most insane um and they're doing like a chocolate stout with them that will probably be over the top and ridiculous and like I can't eat is, a Hertz donut is it called diabetes in a can well that's I mean that's kind of like where this is all heading right yeah, like yeah. um uh, and so it is weird right I mean when you walk down the aisle of like a reasonably robust craft beer store. Um, you will definitely see in categories some things that are just, oh, also, did you know that we could put fruit or we could put maple syrup or that we could put chocolate donuts in beer? And this is what you would get. So how does it impact our search for beer from my perspective? Quite a bit. I mean, my my point would be like their IPAs are so popular that like, I mean, that's at least some sort of evidence that would like at least American beer drinkers want not sweet beer. Oh, like, for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's definitely... Yeah, so with, regarding Grant's question, I think yeah. I, I would agree that uh, it is not all sweetness and light. We had the IPA wars. We lost many. <laughs> and and we're now um, moving towards a, like, like a Pilsner thing. Like, uh, I, the, the explosion of Pilsners in the last couple of months has stunned me. Um, they're show, showing up at small breweries, micro breweries. I, I think it's just a reaction against the IPA totally. monstrosity. Like, what if it was not awful probably and drinkable probably is. but like also we have an explosion of like super sweet sours and uh an intense explosion of ciders as i can see from being involved in the nerd community um that has uh you know blown up in a big way so while i don't think it leads to necessarily everything has to be sweet america is not a land of half measures <laughs> i will say that mm, much mm-hmm. of craft brewing is about going all in um and there are craft breweries that regardless of bitterness or sourness or sweetness that they're basically answering the question what would hedonism bot drink if hedonism bot were real um and they attempt to brew that fictional beverage as best they can the the slurm if you will of craft beer Mm. um so i feel like uh 
yeah, I, I do agree that uh, Americans have a terrible sweet tooth. I am one of them. Um, but uh, I don't think it necessarily leads to only sweet beers. I think it certainly leads to more sweet beers than you have in probably other continental sure. craft brewery scenes. Um, because we're we're not creatures of nuance. But that but that is uh, a but it goes in every direction. Right. Yeah. That's the thing. It is a function of what else can you put in beer, right? And so at some point in that exhaustive search for what else can you put in beer, some of that stuff is going to be sweet. And so um, it, it's it's a question of uh, of number, not of direction for me. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't think that our beer choices are in one of two veins, terribly sweet and non-terribly sweet. I think that our beer choices are in one of 97 veins. <laughs> and it just so happens because of the nature of flavor – 45 of them are sweet, uh, mm-hmm. and we have a lot of fucking sweet beers. We also have a lot of not sweet beers. Um, yes, too many berries in beer. Totally agree. We have tried every berry at this point in beer. Um, some of it's very good. Some of it's not very good. What it has taught me is that I like some berries more than I thought I did. Like, come to find out, I like blueberry. Or at least I like blueberry beer, and maybe those things are different. I don't yeah. fucking care. Um, raspberry. You want to get me to try a sour? Tell me there's raspberry in it. Bingo, bango. Cherries have been, I think, a surprising pull for us. Um, I've been very interested in pomegranate lately. Yeah, for sure. Owing to 4x4's Pomegranate 49, which yeah. is a fantastic beer. Even um, even some citrusy things, which I'm typically in on, uh, like pineapple, etc. But using citrus, uh, like we had a mango IPA, I think, a couple yeah, of weeks ago. Citrus is purpose in craft beer yeah. for my point is right. to cut the awfulness of the ipa monstrosities right and make them like drinkable tasty beverages right um and uh, yeah i've had some beers that are just like pineapple right like yeah never do it for me no nope. you've used that citrus to cut something and make it more complex totally flavor. agree really interested in that and i do think that we are sort of um uh, racing so far to the edges that eventually we are going to snap back into some sort of complex, interesting middle of flavor. Oh, I totally agree. And I think I think it's happening already. I do too. I think that's the the emergent uh, emergent of like Kolsch's and Pilsners. You're seeing a lot more craft boot like four by four, for example. I mean, not to continue to beat this horse. Um, their their big thing that they're pushing around town. They have a limited number of taps. Is a Java Kolsch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, when we were in Indianapolis for Gen Con. Uh, I went to Chili Water Brewing Company uh, because they are a local there that has some respectable beers. And they have a silver medal in the Great American Beer Festival, I think, for a Kolsch. And it was really delicious. Um, or it was a Pilsner. It was a Pilsner. Yeah. I even texted you and you made a joke about Pilsners. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think we're making a push, right? Back to the middle. But back to the middle doesn't feel so middle anymore because we've moved so far. Well, also the American craft brewing scene, now that it's been built so firmly on the the foundation of IPA, is uh racing for uh novelty oh, like 100 they're looking for the you know it's a deconstructed farmhouse they're yeah. looking for like the weirdest edgiest uh brewing process possible because there are people like us who mm-hmm. are going to buy it just because mm-hmm. we want to talk about having drank this weird ass because we need more beer yeah beer, beer nerds um but eventually that's going to run out and then it's going to become i think probably a more european uh, you know, uh, intercontinental scene. Yeah. Uh, when people are looking for like complexity and uh, interesting, you know, nuances in flavor, subtlety. Right. Or at least I hope that's what we're going toward. Ditto. Um, but I I do agree that like yes, there is some extremity going on, but I don't think it can last because the extremity used to be in a singular direction. Now we're pooling out in every direction. And uh, you're, you're, we're going to run out of beers on that poster yeah. to try and brew at one point. And then it's going to become 
what is the most drinkable? What is the most complex? Mm -hmm. What flavor can we talk about the most? And also, we're Americans. What gets you drunk in the best possible way? Because that's also going to be on there. There Let's admit it. it. Right. Yeah. We didn't start drinking when we were sick. Some of us are drunks. And that's going to factor into our scoring rating more than it might in other places. I don't know. Mm, Who could know? Yeah. Only way to figure it out is to grab another beer and see what happens. Mm -hmm. We'll be right back. What's that? I'm going to try and get through this name. Do it. It is Burr. There you go. Oak. Get it? So a Burr as in in your shoe and Oak as in the tree. Mm-hmm. Burr, Oak, Lily, Orange, and Raspberry Fruit Ale. That's a lot. Not that we like sweet stuff here in America. Right. But right. I'm going to drink a fruit ale. So I mean, we just had a thing about like, do Americans... Like literally just talked about. And we're it. just like just giving into that stereotype. Just oh god, his face is wow. Not, that is not oh god. He if we were pain. ever going to become a video like streaming thing, yeah, like it would be, be just us <sighs> chasing the worst. Maybe stuff. it was the first one. Maybe it was the first. One. I got to give it another try. Wow, Caleb, you're a true soldier. I don't feel it's, like I, the description doesn't make me think that's a bad beer. Your oh, face makes me think god. that's a terrible beer. <laughs> It's a pretty great face that Kale's making. It's like he smelled a diaper. It's okay. In the before you drink it, it's like been a, in the sauce. actually no. Before you you drink it, and then I'll tell you what I think it is. I do not care for it. If no, I if know it, it hasn't yeah. been conveyed. I mean, the face. Like, how would you describe your face, Caleb? Like, <laughs> oh, wow. oh my god, it gets worse. <laughs> oh my god, it's like a flat Fanta that has some sort of like cough syrup film at the top and maybe there's a fly in it it's like intensely but it's not flat though it's intensely effervescent with no taste until it tastes like medicine and then it is like in the back of your throat and it feels it feels grody it feels fly specked i don't know why like hard one hard one do you know what that tastes like like imagine if high c made a tobacco flavor (laughs) (laughs) all right i gotta try this it was like it's so true. It was like, did you want your high C orange? Do you want your Capri Sun Pacific cooler? We also have new high C Havana. Right. It's like, oh, God. got past the trade embargo. That is drink that shit, Ross. And, uh, this is from Columbia, Missouri, too. Like, I said that. Uh, yeah. Where I are, know, uh, we said uh, it. Drink it. No one even listens to me. I make an Apple rating scale, and people just tune out. Yeah, that's a gala. Mm. <laughs> That is not. I'm not getting a cough syrup, but it's not. Yeah, tobacco. It's yeah. like it's like. Oops, we didn't know what tobacco actually tasted like. Yeah, that's I, really bad. I yeah, mean, it I'm, is kind of like. Excuse I, me, that's it, Lily bad. <laughs> it, it's kind of it's kind of <laughs> like I smoked a Swisher Sweet. That's right. Five minutes ago. Yep. And then drank seltzer like water. seltzer water. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That is that is exactly what it is. I have a film from a Swisher Sweet in my mouth. Yeah. And I drank some carbonated water. Like that was. Jesus. That's fucking crazy. crazy. Yeah. Um, It's been a while since we've had a hard one. Hard one. Yeah. Um, and, I wonder if they can Sorry, like, bro. Maybe it just, yeah. All, all agreed upon, too. Uh, we have had some semi-ones in the past, but um, but there's been some disagreement, ones and twos. Mm-hmm. This was this was unanimous. No, clearly one. I'm yeah, not yeah. That definitely again. one. Um, hey, we're into Ask Mix 6. You send us questions. Sometimes we respond to them. And this week, Jeb Dale has asked... How would you fix fundraising and remove the salesmanship 
aspect of raising money for nonprofits. I donated to some causes this year and have been inundated with emails and physical mail, all designed to get me to donate again and likely costing more than what I originally donated. Is there a better way? And here's my hot take. There is not a better way, sir. Oh, that's yes, except is. yeah, yeah. Raise taxes and have actual social progress. Do we have what kind of vaporwave would Karl Marx listen to? There's probably. Let me see if there's a vaporwave cover of the International. Yeah, that. Let me Google that right. Anyway, I'm done. Um, <laughs> assuming we cannot radically transform our economic system, do I think yeah, given... Yeah, it would suck if we went back to a democracy. That's right. <laughs> given the current constraints of our socioeconomic climate, I actually don't think that there's a much better way to do this. And I wish that were true, um, as I support many of the causes of the nonprofit world. Not all, but many of the causes of the nonprofit world. Um, the reality is, um, everybody is competing for everybody's attention and money. And if you're not a top-of-mind issue, then no, I don't think that you get the money, especially the way in which people tend to give to nonprofit causes. Um, Guys, there's a socialist theme uh, playlist called that's Labor not, Wave. That's not, that's not the topic. Yeah. I mean, you need to send me that link, but that's not the topic. <laughs> Tribute to Soviet send disco. To, just send it to my phone, and then we'll move on and talk about that. Anyway, you were saying, Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm doing now is just trying to figure out if I even want to come over for our next recording. Because <laughs> I know Ross will have queued up four Labor Wave songs, and we will be listening to Labor Wave. <laughs> I mean, the listeners may want that. Like, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, comrade. Anyway, uh, what were you saying? Here, here. <laughs> I'm so broken. <laughs> okay. Uh I just don't think it's possible. There is so in my role at Mostly Serious, I'm the director of operations. I'm the one that, for example, gets a lot of the donation requests. Things come things like that come to me. I shit you not, we get like three or four a week. Um and we're not we're not a big fish. I mean, we're a reasonably small company in a you know decent mm-hmm. sized market. Mm-hmm. We get we get three to four donation requests a week. And some of them are paltry. I mean, you know, like, hey, would you just donate a twenty five dollar gift certificate or twenty five or, or an hour of your time for a thing? And some of them are substantial, you know, ten, fifteen thousand, twenty dollar, twenty thousand dollar engagements. Um, and, and I, they come across my desk all of the time. And while I find most of them annoying as Jeb does, especially for the ones that we've already donated to, to, to feel like I'm being milked again. Mm -hmm. Um, I very much understand because, um, in the time since I last donated to you, there's a really strong possibility that I've seen 35 to 40 other requests for our energy resources, time, money, et cetera. And so while I don't like it, and I think that it takes the benevolence out of what in theory should be a benevolent thing, we do not have a system built to reward benevolence. We have a system reward built to reward persistence. And um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think there's a way out of this, given our current climate. Uh, I think the only better way is ROI. Uh, so, sure. for instance, I'm not sure paper mail is worth the money anymore. Or has been worth the money in a while, if it's a, you look at it. It's a demographic question, right? I mean, so... Yeah, it's really about the age group that yeah. you think is your... Is, yeah, if it's email, maybe you don't want to go for your, your boomer right. demographic in that regard. Right. <clears throat> but I think most people that aren't the AARP um, are sort of shooting themselves in the foot with paper mailers and junk mail. Not to mention what it's doing to the earth, but I don't think they particularly care about that. They definitely don't. <clears throat> but um, I, I don't think the the money they're spending on that is coming back in a profitable way. 
Um, and there's better ways to do that. But as far as how this goes, like, man, uh, I'd say this is America and I teach in a public school. And like, if those kids have something, they probably bought it themselves by hustling. Mm-hmm. Like, you hustled to get by. Those instruments don't pay for themselves. I mean, look those at the Time Magazine covers, right? themselves. I yeah. mean, you know. God knows what the teacher's spending, but like, even on top of that, like, child fundraisers, you know, I'm sure you're oh, all yeah. getting inundated by that. That is just the taxes that we don't charge right. income or corporations is that we make it do in magazine sales or. Um, you know, candy bars, candy bars, and you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's something that has to be done until there are, you know, reasonable social safety nets to engage with those societal needs besides begging. Uh, but we in America have some sort of bizarre distaste for that and would prefer, uh, people to, you know, grab their grab their squeegees and jump on the hood of our car or, or go and, on a game show. Yeah. Or right? go on a game show. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and live that American dream. Um, I actually don't, I don't have a whole lot more to say on this part. Partially the reason I chose this question is because I wanted to see how quickly it, you would, you would transition to a joke about America's economic Were system. Were you satisfied with the answer? Honestly, it, I would have lost money on the speed with which it happened. I, <laughs> I was giving myself like, uh, over a minute. Ross, you got that labor wave tweet yet? You didn't. You can, yeah. you can just shoot that link to me anytime, buddy. <laughs> All right. I Posted in the group. Um, hey, Jeb, thanks for the question. On that note, we're going to grab another beer and some other economic system joke, and we'll be right back. Hey, Spencer, what are you drinking? So, also from Logboat Brewing, this is the Shiphead. It's a spiced ale, and I don't know what that means. May it be better than what just happened to me. Literally nothing could be. That was one of the worst beers we've had on this show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, no, Champagne Velvet was way worse. Oh, yeah, that. it was way worse. It's yeah. not the worst, but it made the one. It way or made, the sake. The Ooh. one club is really our most exclusive club. Yeah. Is it, though? Spencer Is it, though? Look at his face. Did we, did we two want it? Yeah, I don't know. He's God, jeez, he looks in pain. Are you in pain, it just, Spencer? It's like someone. You gotta like, go back in there. You seem confused by it. That's the only way to make sure. Yeah, you gotta double confirm a one for the fans. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's good. We can no logboat. Um, <laughs> it tastes like someone spilled coriander in dish soap. They were like, "Oh, let me clean up my oops, knock my coriander." <laughs> it's over. still good. Oh, All right. hey. I'm going to get in there. Will you clean up that potpourri that I spilled in that Dawn? Um, tough on grease, bad on your mouth. Oh, fuck no. That's Why? terrible. All that right. is hand soap. That's, right. that's exactly right. Oh, God. That's, exa- that's a one. That's a hard one, people. But not like, not like thick hand soap. No. Like you're running out, so you, so you put, put some, some water, water in, in there. there. Yes. <laughs> that's a gala apple is what that is. Oh, God. Two ones at a... Well, I feel less bad because Logboat was doing us right until that shit. Yeah, that's... But- that's a thing. can't all be yeah, winners. No, go take that back. Yeah, yeah. That's not good. You, you deal with that. It's, that's trying to be a like a James E. Pepper seventeen seventy six, but falling like way short. That's that's horrible. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> okay. Hey, we're <sighs> into binge binger. Um, this is actually hosts. a conversation that we started over the weekend, and I found infinitely fascinating, and so I wanted to carry it on here a little bit. I only thought about it for two days. Right, exactly. Yeah, long enough for, for <laughs> us to come back to it two days later that I that I wanted to recast the picks that I made in the car. Um, great television show detectives. 
crime solvers is probably a better word because some of them aren't always detectives. So great television well, crime solvers, professional like amateurs. That's ex- well, like Matlock, for yeah. example, not a detective. Well, I mean, he, I mean, he detects, but it is not his title. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, so we're we're gonna recast Matlock, Jessica Fletcher, obviously of Murder She Wrote. And Columbo. The uh, Wonder Woman, Batman, and Superman of decrepit crime I think that's true. I think there's something... The Holy Trinity (laughs) of CBS mystery shit. There's something to all of that. You could argue Dick Van Dyke's up there with Diagnosis Murder, but... Real good show. He has too many other Rockford? Yeah, oh, yeah here's the thing. I think we could explore this. Is he the Aquaman? I still think. I always or felt is he like the, the cyborg. Here's the thing. I always felt like they wanted me to think Rockford was still sexy, though. That's the thing. Oh, so he's the Green Lantern? No, no, no. I think <laughs> I think there's something to this, like the the, the Playboy. I never like, thought, crime solver. Yeah, I never thought they were like trying to get me like on board with like Rockford just being a kindly old mystery solver. No, they weren't. There, there's this wave of like Remington Steele, Rockford, um, uh, 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 Banachek a little bit, right? Yeah. We're like we're supposed to accept that also they're fairly attractive to, to humans never quite works because i was a child when i watched all of them right because yeah no yeah. i mean that that was never a thing but <laughs> but it is kind of like a fascinating subgenre that happens in there but i mean we're going i think like this is this these is are desexualized platonic rushmore platonic crimes of television crime true detectives if you will right you want to start with Columbo? You want to start with matlock oh god i'm i'm so excited for all of them so right. i don't know we'll start I'll, with matlock I'll, yeah all right you go first this is probably my edgiest pick uh, but I want you to bear with me. All Get right? in there. Get in there. And I want you to realize that it's just crazy enough to work. Okay. That's important. All right. So here's my hot take on this one. Bill Murray. Yeah, ma- that's, that's fucking crazy. Imagine Have you seen Matlock? Hold, hold on. Hold okay. on. Hold okay. on. Okay. Hold on. Okay. Hold on. Okay. 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 You're going to do Matlock again, right? Yep. You got to update it. Yep. Imagine Bill Murray, first off, in a white seersucker suit. I want to see it right now. Sure. You do too, yep. if you're being honest. Already picturing it. Imagine Bill Murray's dry, befuddled sort of expression when every single week it turns out that he's defending a person who did not do the crime and has to mm. exonerate mm. them single-handedly. Mm. Mm-hmm. And imagine that sort of befuddled confusion growing in Bill Murray as he's playing a normal, staid Small town man, much like he did in Get Low, as he can do in period pieces and has before. Imagine that sort of escalating as every week it turns out that person didn't do it. And he's got to get them off. So you think there's some like big arc here where he he grows like increasingly baffled over time? Yes. Okay. No, I I, actually, I I think there's like a meta commentary on the nature of Matlock in this Matlock reboot, while still. Having Bill Murray do a Southern accent in a white seersucker suit. That'd be great. In courtroom scenes, which I would pay hard cash money to watch. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so my question is, how are you going to get Wes Anderson to agree to do a TV show? Oh, God. <laughs> I think Wes Anderson's like one or two movies away from being forced to do a TV show. <laughs> considering Aww. the way they perform at the box office. I'm sad to say it, but it's true. So All right. uh, I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> I've I've played up um, I've played up kind of like a different part of the Matlock aesthetic. So whereas you've gone for kind of like this meta approach to Matlock, Metalock, um <laughs> by Bill Murray Murtlock, I'm not gonna stop. Uh which I think which I think is interesting. 
Um, I've gone for a different bit. So for me, like the the real like joy of Matlock was in like he's just he's just a good old boy, you know. He's just he's simple. He's folksy. He's of the people. He's just trying to figure out what happened here and be nice uh, to to people in the process. I think Nick Offerman makes a good Matlock. Think I don't think he can do the accent. Here's the thing. I'm a little bit worried about the accent. Okay, but. I'm not talking about Ron Swanson. I'm talking about Nick Offerman from making it. Like Nick Offerman, who's just genuinely interested in humans doing things, who's kind maybe to a fault, Mm -hmm. but who's also skeptical of inauthenticity, which I think is Nick Offerman's like number one enemy. He is allergic to things that are not, I think, genuine. He's a woodworker. He is Ron Swanson. He seems genuinely kind and wonderful. And so I think he could really inhabit the role. And then the best part here is you can get motherfucking Amy Poehler to play opposite him because they just have the best chemistry as the DA. And now you've got yourself like one of the most interesting. He's got a shave, though. And I don't know if I can handle that. He does look weird. There is that look, episode of Parks and Rec where he shaves. I'm not saying we have to be like Matt Locke, like essentialists or like the well, flavors clearly, I mean, of Matt Locke. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like we can cross cast him with different races, different sexes. That's fine. But I think regardless of what you do, Matt Locke is a man that shaves every day. That's true. He's clean shaven. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't know if I like Nick Offerman. You like might that. be onto something that the beard and or mustache, he does look weird in mm-hmm. the episode where he shaves, mm-hmm. but he also has dreadlocks in that episode. Yeah. So I yeah. Feel Who like knows? Who knows? I don't, yeah. I don't feel like I have a good picture. God, this great episode. <laughs> God, it's so good. Part, Part of your mustache is missing. <laughs> missing. Um, <laughs> it rubbed off. Um, from the friction. Okay, <laughs> we're moving on to Jessica Fletcher. Uh, Angela Lansbury and Murder, she wrote, one of my favorite deep cut crime solver shows. All right, uh, this is my more staid pick. Someone who would be on a TV show, at least I hope. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Margot Martindale. Solid character actress. Oh, yeah. You might recognize her as the evidence clerk from Dexter. Yeah. Or the mother, the terrible mother from Gone Baby Gone. Um, she's been in a lot of movie work too. Solid. She was in the Americans. She yes. Was great. Solid, solid actress. Yeah. Has an enormous range. She deserves to be a protagonist for once. I agree and if, with that. If we're remaking uh, Murder, She Wrote, hopefully it also goes for 80 seasons. Oh, yeah. And she can do that into her twilight years. That's but I think she could solve the hell of a mystery. Also, got the body of a writer. I'm going to be honest. You believe that when she's not solving mysteries in her weirdly Juarez murder dangerous New England town. It is frightening. Get no. out of that Hamlet. <laughs> Get the fuck out of that Move. Um, It is, uh, when she's not doing that, she's writing books because she does that to live. She's sitting in a chair, tippy-tapping away. Um, I think she'd kill it. So I'm going to go with uh, Margot Martin. That's a good pick, um, especially because she's typically not a pro. I, I like the idea that she would finally be the centerpiece um, because she's great in a bunch of other stuff. I mean, as a, as a side the character. thing about Murder, She Wrote is yeah. like you have to be sort of grateful that you're getting attention yeah. if you're Angela Lansbury. It's That's like, right. Yeah, I just write murder mystery novels, but like, I guess I'll solve who killed the right. understudy in the community play again. Yeah. Um, no, like, I like yeah. it. I made this pick on Saturday, and I'm standing by it, man. I have racked my brain. I think Kristen Wiig would be a hella good Jessica Fletcher. I think Kristen was going to be pick you, pissed. You put her at Jessica Fletcher. No, I, I'm, and, and and I don't, and and I I want to be very clear. I'm not advocating for like a Ghostbusters esque treatment of Jessica Fletcher, which is to say the Are you 2000- going for hot Jessica Fletcher? Though? No, Kristen Wiig is kind of attractive no. too. No, like, I, what I'm going for. So like, not to say anything against Angela Lansbury. Thank you, all you um, Angela Lansbury heads out there, Angela Fansberries. 
<laughs> nice. Thank you. Um, Fangela Lansbury. We could do this all day, people. Okay. Um, uh, there are some really... So if you... Like Bridesmaids is an objectively funny film. But some of the best parts of Bridesmaids are not the like weird jokes. Um, they're the moments where Kristen Wiig is like trying to get back to her essence, and she's just like baking and being like a little bit flummoxed by things. Um, and she's a little uncomfortable. She's a little awkward. I always thought part of the charm of Murder She Wrote was when Jessica Fletcher seemed kind of like surprised, put off by the fact that there was another murder in Cape Cod or yeah, wherever the yeah, fuck they are. Sometimes you're reminded that she doesn't get out much because she's a writer. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so this kind of like social uncomfortability around the whole thing. And I think Kristen Wiig can pull all of that off very well while also being um, – uh, the center of attention very well. Now that you bring it up like that way, I, I think I like that, that she is sort of like, oh, I haven't interacted with people for months because I've been trying to figure out the third act, but now I have to figure out who killed the paper boy. Right, that's exactly right. Um, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right, last one. My edgiest pick, without a doubt, but I'm going to let you go first, Columbo. <laughs> All right. Uh, mine is going to be, uh, I'm going to go with Clark Peters as Columbo. Uh, you might recognize him as the pawn shop cop from The Wire. Or the uh, nice na- the nice neck door hitman from um, John Wick. Now Clark Peters, pretty edgy pick, man. Clark Peters of the age you want for a Columbo, um, gonna be your 2018 Columbo for lots of obvious reasons. But normally, really well put together, just a beautifully dressed man, and regard regardless of what he's in, just really you know uh, dots his eyes, crosses his t's, dirtying him up. And having him be just like this old, weird son of a bitch who wanders drunkenly through scenes, asking weirdly prescient questions mm-hmm. at the wrong time. And well, just, one more thing. And skunking everybody and like just getting murderers to like convict themselves while like drunkenly stumbling through in like a flasher quote. He's got the range to do that, mm-hmm. and it would be jarring to see him do that because he's normally so clean cut. Yeah, in all of the roles he gets, I like so. the juxtaposition here. Yeah. I think it's sneaky. Um, slightly different direction. Someone who I think could just embody the like the irreverence of the whole bit, right? I mean, that he just stumbles in um, and kind of has what a skewed perspective of the whole thing from top to bottom, right? Because like one of the interesting things to me about the the viewer experience in Columbo is from the viewer's perspective, even though you always know who did the thing because they lead with letting you functionally see the murderer, at least in many of the episodes and certainly in the longer form stuff, typically from the viewer's perspective... It's not who did it, it's how Columbo will trick that person. Right, how Columbo will trick that person. (laughs) He's a trickster god. When, When the viewer has been given, even though they know who did it, the story that the, the the murderer tells is actually a fairly compelling and often fairly tight story. So from the viewer's perspective, Columbo really is jarring because <laughs> Columbo is encountering something that doesn't make sense given how all of the dots have already been, you know, all of the eyes have already been dotted. So who do I think does that very well? I think Vincent, Vincent D'Onofrio would be a really good Columbo. <laughs> Motherfucker is weird by trade. Like that's just every time he's, he's kind of going for it in his Law and Order. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like e- Eans is that who he is? I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in Law and Order, like there's a little bit of that already. Um, like the I'm not quite on the same wavelength as you and how I'm seeing all this. But where I think Vincent D'Onofrio would really 
push a button and and i was i was really what if we just leaned into the fact the detective looks like a sex pest because boy (laughs) howdy would vincent d'onofrio one of the things that always struck me about vincent d'onofrio's portrayal of kingpin in daredevil season one which to this day i think is one of the two or three greatest casting decisions in the history of television oh no he was he was fantastic is is in his like terribly intense dialogue scenes where he is explaining how he's arrived at mm-hmm. being Kingpin. Mm-hmm. And the best part of any Columbo film and or show are these terribly odd winding narratives, how he's arrived at this series of questions where now all of a sudden you're fucked. Yeah, the parlor scenes don't really go straight to the point. No, at all. No, no, no. <laughs> They're these weird digressions that eventually end up at who did it. They almost always, like halfway through, resolve ha- with him accepting the explanation he's been given is good enough. Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like he's, you know, sundowning. That, but- and then, nope, and then actually, wait a minute, I'm coming back. Uh, <laughs> yeah. One more thing. Uh, and I just think there's something like oddly brilliant about Vincent D'Onofrio and uh, about Peter Falk's portrayal of Columbo that I think meet in the middle very nicely. So anyways, uh, we should definitely do this again with that other, that other category of, of crime solvers yeah, from like yeah. the seventies and eighties. On that note, we got one more beer. We got one more topic. We'll be right back. Caleb, it's our last beer, so I implore you, participate in the rating system. Honestly, what are you drinking? Well, I'm going to drink from Logboat Brewing Company, uh, the Binny Mocha Stout. Um, let's hope it's not a one. It can't, Mocha. I want to tell myself that it cannot be worse than the last beer. I've heard of beers co- coffee stouts and milk stouts, but not like a mocha stout. That is a serviceable Mocha Stout. So that is going to be a three. That is going to be a Fuji. There we go. There we go. And with no snark asterisk. I cannot say anything distinguishing about it. It is a Mocha Stout. I'll take that. Um, It is not in any way offensive. It's quite drinkable. It has some coffee flavor in it, which I've learned to accept in beer only, which is odd and probably says something it about is me weird that i'm not gonna look too deep into but yeah it is a it is a mocha stout i don't think that's a problem you need to look too deep into well i don't drink actual coffee is good Spencer. i don't uh, no, i i agree i drink okay. i drink multiple cups of black coffee a day but i don't drink any coffee right. but what? i drink quite a bit of coffee alcohol i don't think there's a lot of layers there man like i, think I mean i know what it says but i don't want to I think the layer is the word alcohol, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. that's that's the onion, man. Yeah. Um, hey, we're into drunk enough, um, and so kind of kind of an interesting assessment of where we are uh, in terms of game design. Certainly, where Caleb is in terms of game design. So let's just lay the landscape. Here's what's happened, and here's where we are. Um, Party foul is all but in production. We're we're finalizing like a few like last minute elements here and there in pre press, but by and large, <laughs> he said until. Right, Something tomorrow. Something wrong. Right. Well, luckily, yeah. we're working with an absolute professional who's yes. helping manage a lot of this process um, mm-hmm. in in the pre-press setting. Uh, it's been a, really a pretty wonderful experience, uh, top to bottom. But so we're we're out of the woods. Um, I, I definitely think, and again, at some point, we'll, we'll talk through all of this. You know, we should probably do that at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, w- 
it's uh, different timelines here, but there were definitely moments where I think you and I are in agreement that that we at least would never do another Kickstarter. And if we were going to, it wouldn't be for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's not be- that's not because of working together. Working together, I think, has actually gone really well. It was just we did not have a great experience for periods of our Kickstarter life. Yeah. Um, it was a stressful one. It was a stressful one. It was it was it was a it was a really fun and really terrible thirty days. It's kind of how <laughs> I've described it to people who have asked. Um, and and so the Kickstarter ended um, July early July or mm. late June early July yeah. right May twenty second to June twenty second I guess. Um, and how how long in earnest do you think we waited to start talking about not one but two more games? that we would potentially take to Kickstarter in, in the next period of time. I don't want to say next week, but in the next two years. Like two weeks. Maybe two weeks. <laughs> two weeks might be liberal. Um, there was definitely a period where we didn't talk about Party Foul. We, we didn't talk. We just didn't talk about things. We didn't even talk about the podcast. Um, it was like, let's get drunk and play some board games and act like the what we had just done didn't happen. Um, and that's not to say it was bad. It was just stressful, and there's a lot of we emotion. We a break. Yeah. yeah, that's right, top to bottom. Um, at that and fulfilling a Kickstarter is nothing like making the game for a Kickstarter. Right. Yeah. They yeah. Completely different skills. Hundred percent. So um, need a moment to transition. Yeah. And 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 I I, I want to take a second to compliment you. You have you have you have a good skill set for that. I've been very impressed. Um, you have jumped in on things that I haven't been able to jump in on, or I was like in a meeting and I get out and I see you jump in on stuff and it's like holy shit, this is moving because of Caleb. Um, um, but. Uh, there's some craziness there that is, you know, you, you pitched a game to me kind of like, hey, what do you think about this? And I was like, yep, let's do that. And then I pitched a game back to you thinking like, ah, Caleb's pretty busy. He'll say no. And you were like, yep, that'd be easy. Um, and then and then you took on other work from other Kickstarters. So, so I guess I just kind of want like, how's it going for you not having a Kickstarter live right now? And how quickly are you getting into another one? Uh, so as Sarah says every time I do this, she says never again. Um, with every Kickstarter, which is justifiable because they're always more work than they see at the start. Um, but the problem with monetizing all your free time is that, like, eventually something you're doing for your free time gets monetized to the point where it's not fun anymore. So, like, I love Red Markets and I'm very proud of what I've made, but it's 496 pages and we're going on to our fourth supplement. There was a time in which I... And that time has passed when it is work to write red markets now. Uh, I love it very dearly. I'm always going to be proud of it, but like I got to do it on my free time and it is work. Um, And so that's the thing. Like you're just adding more work by monetizing your free time and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's also my free time. So when you say I'm not going to do it again, you're basically saying I'm going to invent something I haven't done for a hobby before and do that instead. Yeah. And that's not working out for me. I know. I know. Um, so, like, I got two pretty big freelancing contracts, and I'm working on those right now pretty intensely whenever I can get a chance because those are due before. But um, I also know that I work better on two things at once. Yeah. And so I started other things because I got the first freelancing contract. I'm like, well, I'm going to be really slow on it because I work better at two things at once because I need something to be a break from. So, like, Red Market's... Um, started as an idea, but it really developed as a break from writing No Soul Left Behind, which is another freelancing gig. And like, I got No Soul Left Behind done all the faster for having red markets because I didn't just break and play a video game. I did something else productive, re-energized, and got back to it. Um, but I got the first freelancing gig, 
And then I'm like, man, that game we made up in that that face-off episode of Don't Cross the Streams actually sounds pretty good, even though I just came with on the fly. Are you familiar with that game, Spencer? Yes, we've talked about it multiple times. We already have names We might have two prototypes (laughs) in development for our dumb pigeon bullet hell game. I love hearing that. And don't you ever call dumb. Nope. Tentatively titled, Coup Lateral Damage. Oh, my God. (laughs) Who came up with that one? That was me. That was yeah, good job, Spencer. I've now contributed what I plan to contribute to that <laughs> game. So good luck, Caleb. You're selling yourself short. So there's that. Um, we've talked about your sort of party game. Yep. Uh, where you play therapists for characters in for bit characters B-movies. in action sequences. So, so like, like your uh, yeah your your Arnold Schwarzenegger's daughter from True Lies, and you just watched your dad land an F-22 while you were hanging off of it. And now you got to go to school and talk about and it. Now so you're, like, and now you're voting for treatment plans right, for yeah. that student. Yeah. So like, to how do you recover? How from, do you tell your friends what happened there? Like, give me some advice on that. Like, how do I talk about this at school? My brother's murderer, who was wearing my father's face, right. held yep. me hostage in a Spanish yep. beachside church yep. while my sworn enemy, right. who was actually my father, yep. Yep. Yeah. I also get- a face-off thing. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. That was the first thing I pitched you. Yeah. Yeah. What? How do you? How, if you're John Travolta's daughter, how do you go back to school and deal yeah, with no, this? No. But here's a sign of our desperation. Right. We'd watched Face Off recently again, yeah, and that was it. And that we made two games based off the film Face Off. Yeah. <laughs> Just because we were, and then. Um, I have two role-playing game ideas I'm working on. I've right. already, I already ran like a, a brief prototype of one, and it didn't catastrophically fail. Yep. Which you know I've I've run games that have gone worse for ideas, uh, and then um, I'm making progress on Doctor Witch Doctor too. Yeah. And like I think we're going to do a game designers workshop about uh, Caleb being all over the goddamn place. Uh, I think one of the tomorrow, best things that but, happened to us this year is not going to Metatopia because it's actually I think provided some room to talk about this stuff for fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, right now I'm just freaking out and doing right. everything, yeah. and I that's not a good strategy. <laughs> But it's just like I I feel I I just fall apart like I'm like a deep sea creature if I don't have the pressure of it yeah I just fucking unravel like my intestines float away from me like I need the fucking pressure of it to just hold me together because yeah. like yeah are 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 there's some that or something else is psychologically wrong with me because like no I don't I think sh- I shouldn't be doing half this much or even one this much right. and yet I'm working on like. Six different things at once. I don't think so. it's a problem. I, I kept telling Brandy, like, as soon as the Kickstarter ends, I'm just going to take such a huge fucking break. <laughs> and the Kickstarter ended, and I took, like a, I took, like, a week-long break, and then you and I started kicking around new game ideas, and I came home and told Brandy, and she was like, wait, what? And I was like, I know, but listen. <laughs> um, and the next thing I know, I was like, maybe we should start, like, painting and remodeling our house. And I know that if I've reached a point where I think I should be doing shit like that, I, I'm just looking for another project is really what I'm doing. Yeah. I, I don't know, um, and I don't know if it's condition. I don't know. You're welcome. I don't know if it's capitalist conditioning that <laughs> I have to be doing something. Yeah. Um, uh, but whatever it is, I know that I'm not good at free time anymore uh, in, in a real true sense. And sometimes I try to manage that and say it's okay not to do anything right now. And I find moments of clarity where that's really great. But I also know that I'm I'm also happy sometimes if my free time is commoditized project time. Commoditized or not, project time. Well, here's why I was doing well. We we finished up. Then we had about like two or three weeks before I started doing hardcore Gen Con prep. Right. And then that 
led into hardcore school prep. So the way it worked out is that I'd have my Gen Con stuff done for about two weeks before Gen Con started. Right. Because I have all my school stuff done. Right. Because I got back from Gen Con, went right out of school. So during those two or three weeks, I actually lost like 20 pounds. Hey. Like I lost quite a... No, no it's all back. Don't worry about it. Okay. Um, I, I was exercising a whole bunch, running a whole bunch, doing a lot of... Uh, you know, cooking a lot, oh. trying to live healthy like I normally do. I kept that up through most of the Gen Con prep, and I kept it up through most of the school and Gen Con prep. Yeah. But then school started, and then it was all school. And there goes your Then time. I was doing the red, regular red market stuff. Um, I don't get home till like, well, I'm podcasting two nights a week, so I'm not getting home till nine or ten. Right. I start at five, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And now it's just like if I get a spare moment, I cannot go for a jog because, you know, it's starting over, which is depressing. Um, I have no control of my diet because right. I am constantly on the road. And it's just like I want to do something that's not work. And I, I mean, I I do my work. Right. It's not like I, I'm giving up on teaching or anything. But like that stuff is like writing and game design stuff. And like so I and with, yeah. without having direction. I went in every direction. Yeah, yeah no, much no. like craft brewing. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, I have tried to pick up exercise, but I've turned it into a project, which is this X Miles bit. So now I'm trying to get through as much of the X Files as I can and running while I'm doing it. Yeah, and it's actually smart. Yeah. it's provided me some direction, right? Yeah. Like how how many miles can you rack up while watching the X Files? And, and I and I know I shouldn't have given up the exercise thing, but at the same time, like I can't tell how much of it is a health thing versus how much of is how much of it is a I. I just think deep down in my core, I need, I feel better doing this. And, mm-hmm. and I don't know, maybe that is a health thing. Um, uh, but it's definitely not like a, one rule for me, ha, didn't step on the scale before I started, haven't stepped on the scale since, because I don't want it to be a, am I or am I not losing weight? Because that's a real quick way for me to feel like I've either accomplished something and stop, or that it's not working and stop. So it has very much been like a, as a human, do I feel like I need to do this for reasons? Mm-hmm. And that's been working for me. So any of the anyway, all of this to say, um, if you're some people asked on Twitter about how Party Foul was going, Party Foul's going really well. We we hope to be in people's hands much we're, earlier. We're than in the promised. doldrums. I have a I have a uh, update I need to post, but it's basically going to be no news is good news. Right. I Shit's am, happening. I'm waiting for things to arrive from China. Right. I don't know what to tell you about right. that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's, I mean, they, it's they, over an ocean now. Yeah, like, I mean, they did just have a massive typhoon hit one of their major shipping centers. So, so that, yeah. Well, I mean, we're not shipping yet. I'm waiting for like one box of party fell. Right, right. right. We China. just want we yeah. just want to see the thing. Yeah. But okay. but we are on schedule to do that in yeah, the next yeah. couple of you know actually next like six weeks to eight weeks. But that's not a that's not a fun update when all the art is done. Right. We've shown people the art. And, yeah. Yeah. But it's yeah. coming, and and while that's happening, there's a lot of other stuff happening too in the works. Some of it so, you might see, some of it you won't see. Yeah. For example, not all deep sea creatures are, uh, die when you bring them to the surface. It uh, sometimes it's because of temperature changes, uh, and actually. If you bring them up slowly enough uh, most of the time they are fine so like you went one episode without (laughs) turning into one fucking you brought it up listen jack you literally made the reference and i literally made the reference last time and then i lauded you for not turning into a pedant and then here you go i know because you're an aesthetic terrorist you can't (laughs) you can't even accept i want people to know you can't accept praise without destroying it (laughs) Like, what does that say about marine? you? Forget my project. I just, I'm interested in marine biology. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I sure. hate. 
Let's just leave it at that. I hate. That's it. End of episode. Um, hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. It, it could mean that you're a backer of a certain level, and if not, that's no big deal either. We appreciate you just for showing up, for giving us your time, and hopefully for engaging with us on social media. Speaking of which, you can find us on Twitter at the Mixed Six. You can also find us on Facebook. We've got a page and a group. Just look for the Mixed Six podcast. Check out our website www.themixedsix.com, and we've got some shit up on YouTube that's pretty funny, if I do say so myself. You can also send us things in the mail as some of you have at the mixed six that's the name of the podcast 2131 west republic road number 101 springfield missouri 65807 once again i'm spencer uh we need 12 beers to finish out the year without having buying beers just as a quick reminder so be part of the magic 12 he's caleb this is the mix six podcast and we'll see you next time